the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. The message is called Part 3, Bearing the Cross. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll launch from there today. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. It's no place I'd rather be than here with my brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6 says, He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is the covenant not written of laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. I think in the King James it says, the letter of the law killeth, but the Spirit bringeth life. You've got to put the oof in it. But the letter of the law killeth. The, the law was meant to what? Show us our sin. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. When I was uh, 11 or 12, I remember one time my, my dad came and to take me hunting, deer hunting. And I'd been excited about it for weeks, you know. And I wasn't much taller than the 12-gauge shotgun that I was bringing in the woods. I wasn't much bigger around at the time either. But I was so excited to be killing, you know, bringing that big killing stick in the woods, that big cold, hard steel, that, that shotgun. I wanted to shoot something. I, want, I wanted to make my passage from boyhood to manhood. Now, I'd already killed a spike, but I was hoping to kill something bigger, you know, because you got to get bigger and bigger, right? And so he took me into the woods, and I was following behind Dad, and he left some kind of big footprints because my dad was like a local hunting hero. He was like a, a legend in his own time. <laughs> if Anything to do with hunting and fishing. Everybody kind of looked up to Dad, so I was trying to be just like him. And he, he brought me into the woods, and he put me in a place called the bottleneck. That's where two big patches of woods came down to a narrow section. It was a good place to hunt because deer, if they wanted to sneak through one patch to the next, they had to go through the bottleneck. I sat down in a tree, and he said, okay, uh, that double-alt buck and that shotgun are to lay one down if you get a shot. So just put it on them. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said, now the dogs are running. They'll probably run one through here. I said, yes, sir, I got it. He said, he said now don't shoot no squirrels. I said, Dad, that was last year. I done growed up since then. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> but I said, I won't, do, I won't shoot no squirrels this year, Daddy. I, I'm, on a, I'm just going to wait for a deer. And then he noticed I was a little fidgety. He said, remember that safety doohickey on your, on your gun. Don't, you know, keep that on until it's time to shoot. And I said, yes, sir, I, got, I, I, got, I don't need all this lecturing, Daddy. Just go on. I'm going to kill me a deer. So he snuck off. And, I, you know, for the next 20 minutes, I was, I was in tune with nature. I mean, I could hear the leaves rustling and, and anything that moved. I, no, I was, I was ready for that deer. I was, well, which way did he go? You know, I was ready I was in tune. I was fired up. And that's what surprised me so bad, like, later on when I, when I woke up. 
and it had this big puddle of drool on my lapel, you know. And I'm like, how'd that happen? And I was, as I was getting my eyes back open, I looked in front of me, and not 30 paces off was a big deer. Well, immediately, my gun come up like that, and I'm looking over, and I'm doing this number here. Has anybody been deer hunting, you know? You get this buck fever, and your heart just starts pounding. As you can hear it rolling around in the rib cage, just shooking up. And, and I'm sitting here like this, and I wait, wait a minute. Where's that safety do, Hickey? And I pull it off, and it's made a sound like that. <laughs> and, and before I interrupted myself again, and... and and so I took the safety off, and I, I'm just fixing to shoot, and I said, wait a minute, Daddy said it's got to be a buck. Oh, that's just a doe. And the, he must have heard me say it or something because he flicked his ears, and behind those big ears I could see just a little old hat rack six-point sticking up. So I said, boom! And that gun leapt in my arms, and that deer leapt off into the woods. You know what my daddy said when he got back? I'll tell you later. We got to get on to today's message. But I'll share with you later what happened when my daddy got back. Turn to Mark 15. We're going to talk about Simon, the Cyrene. <laughs> Sounds like I'm talking in my country voice when I say the Cyrene. That's, that's Simon the Cyrene. <laughs> no. That's how you pronounce it. I looked it up, Cyrene. Mark 15, 21 says a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. So from that one verse, clearly we can... uh, deduct that Simon was a hard-working young Jewish family man, right? Didn't you get that out of there? What do you mean, Pastor? How do you get all that out? Well, let me explain. I think he was Jewish because his name was a, a strong Jewish name, Simon. You remember Simon Peter? That was a strong Jewish name. And they say it in those days, the city of Cyrene uh, had, a, had a big Jewish sect. And here he was, on Passover week, which is when everybody came to Jerusalem for the Passover. And that's what the Jews did, right? So we can conduct that he was Jewish. I say he was brave and he was hardworking because he had come all the way from Cyrene. <laughs> if you don't know where that's at, it's 900 miles from Jerusalem. It's all the way on the top of modern-day Libya, Pretty good hike, especially back before they had Delta and American Airlines, you know. That means he, I don't even know if he had a, a donkey to ride on or what, but he had come 900 miles, probably several months travel. And uh, I looked it up to see how far exactly 900 miles is. Who in here would want to walk from here to Cheyenne, Wyoming? 900 miles. <laughs> And it's probably, I would say, it's just a once-in-a-lifetime trek. He's probably not going to do this every year. But why did I say he's a family man? Well, he brought his two boys, Alexander and Rufus. And, you know, you know they, uh, they had to brave the weather, the bandits, the, the wild animals. There's no telling what they went through 
before they finally saw those walls of Jerusalem. And I can imagine how excited they were when they looked and saw estimated to be probably three million people in the city that week. Because people from all over came for, to the Passover. Simon, uh, it says, had just come out of the countryside, so he was probably wore out. Blisters on his feet. But I'm sure the boys were filled with wonder and awe. And they're like, Daddy, Daddy, look. And they're, they're holding on to Daddy as they're going through the big, busy, busy, bustling town. And he's probably worn out trying to get to his inn or wherever he had uh, arranged for them to stay tonight. But I bet he could sense the commotion, the, the tension in the air. What's going on? Why is everybody, why is it so loud around here? What, what's, you know, something's different. And somebody said, they're crucifying Jesus. That's what it is. So the crowd is in an uproar. And everybody's heard tales of Jesus by this point. You know, even all the way to Cyrene. <laughs> they had heard about how he had calmed the storm and how he had raised Lazarus and that, the things that Jesus had done, I'm sure. So, I don't know. Simon was probably tired, ready to find his room. But somehow he got caught up. Maybe he got caught up as they were parading Jesus by, or maybe he went to see this Jesus that he had heard so much about. But either way, he had just come in from the countryside, and they commissioned him. He couldn't have known when he came all that way from Cyrene that he would be the one to lead in the Passover lamb. Nobody knew it. <laughs> we know it today that Jesus was the Passover lamb. I can imagine Simon's like, no, no, wait now, wait, whoa, whoa, I, I just got here. I, I've got little kids, but the Roman soldiers weren't taking no for an answer. When they, the Roman soldiers said, you know, either carry his cross or we'll get you your own, you know. But, but I've traveled months to get here. If I touch that cross, if I touch that man's blood, you know, I'll be unclean. I won't be able to partake of the Passover. I've traveled 900 miles to do that, you know. This is, this is not a good deal for me. If I touch that by the law, I will be made unclean. Well, Simon, you don't know it, but by the law, we're all made unclean. In fact, the law was to point out how unclean we are. Well, this is crazy. This is so embarrassing, Simon must think. You know, they're going to they're gonna think I'm the guilty one. You are, Simon. Simon didn't realize it at the time. You know, he probably didn't even think about it, but he'd be much better off following God's new plan, Jesus. Because Jesus will mess up your religion. He had come for a religious ceremony. I don't know how sincere he was. It was because it, he, he just felt that was his tradition, that was what he was supposed to do. I don't know if he had a sincere relationship with God or not. But when you meet Jesus, it'll mess all that up. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus will mess up your religion. <laughs> He'll throw a monkey wrench in that, won't he? Don't you hate it when you just come to do your religious duty and you're forced to focus on the cross? When you're forced to deal with the blood... Can we just wear flowing robes and light incense and recite packaged prayers, Pastor? Can't we just go through the motions? Do we have to get all bloody and messy? 
Why does Christianity have to be so messy? You want me to tell you why? Because people are messy. Our lives are messy. And we're what Jesus is concerned about. And he had to get messy to help us out of our mess. Amen? We are what Jesus cares about. Now, Simon, he was forced to carry Jesus' cross. But we get to decide. We have a choice. Are we going to carry our cross? Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be, that infers a choice, doesn't it? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Say, give up your own way. See, it's messy. It's not easy. You have to make a decision. It can't be your way and a little of Jesus' way. In Luke 9, 23, he said basically the same thing. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, tuck up your cross daily. He adds the word daily and follow me. So it's not a one-time decision. Okay, well, you said the sinner's prayer 20 years ago, but there's been no evidence of it since. See, if you want to be his disciple, a disciple is a disciplined follower. You're walking with Jesus every day. You know, if Peter and James and John and them wouldn't have got up every day and walked with Jesus, they'd have got left behind. Where'd he go? Which way did he go? He gone. Right? They would have got left behind. And some of us are getting left behind. Jesus is trying to lead us down a path to our destiny, and we're not getting up every day and deciding to follow, deciding to take up our cross and go with him. In Matthew 10, 38, It says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. Ouch. Jesus, come on, man, don't be so direct. But he explains it. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. He's talking about clinging to this earthly life, things and stuff, and loving People more than you love God, loving whatever it is we love. To be an earthly minded, to be focused on temporary things instead of being focused on Jesus. See, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He wrote the story of our life. He wrote the book. Every chapter, every verse is lined out. I think about the rich young ruler. Jesus told him the same thing. He said, give all you have to the poor and take up your cross and follow me. But he walked away sad. This is a rich guy. He's got, why is he walking away sad? He, he was hooked by the things of this world. He, they were more important to him than following Jesus. Why didn't he walk away happy? He had all these riches. Because riches won't make you happy. It's being who you were called to be that makes you happy. And you can't be who you were called to be unless you know the one who created you to be it. Unless you walk with him because he wants to walk it out with you. He says, come follow me. He doesn't say, 
All right, head that direction. Seven steps to the right. You're getting off. No, follow me. I'm going to walk it out with you every step. How do we take up this cross? Well, let's look at Jesus. Jesus nailed our sins to his cross and paid a debt that we couldn't pay. So that was his cross to get messy, to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. Our cross is to follow him and carry the message of his cross to a world full of messy people for the joy set before us. Same reason he did it. He said he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? To see you believe, to see you walk in his steps, to see you accomplish the reason for your being. Don't you desire that? Don't you want to please your dad like I did hunting that day? I wanted to be like dad. I wanted to do great exploits. I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to walk in his shoes. John MacArthur says, to take up one's cross is simply to be willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. Any price. It is the willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for his sake. That means be willing to die for Jesus. In another place, he says, Christ does not call disciples to himself to make their lives easy and prosperous, but to make them holy and productive. If we're trying to, to be easy and prosperous, we'll never get to where we're called to be. We need to be holy and productive. We're called to produce fruit. Christianity is not the easy way, it's the messy way. It's to get your hands dirty. It's to get up off the pew way. He said, willing to take up your, willingness to take up your cross is the mark of a true disciple. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's what, that's what I glory in, to take up that cross. By whom the world is crucified to, unto me and I unto the world. I want to die to the things of this life. I want to live for the glory of God. Simon was asked probably just to carry the horizontal beam. When they, you know, they went, they, they probably had the vertical beam already set up, and they probably just didn't carry the whole cross, but probably just the horizontal beam. It was Jesus who was lifted up on that vertical beam. And I got to thinking about that. That's Jesus bore the wrath between God and man vertically. He took care of the vertical. We bear the horizontal, sharing that message of forgiveness with each other. That's our cross. That's our part. See, isn't it good that we have a part in the cross? If you were here Wednesday night, you heard about how we take up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. That's what we do. We play a part. God doesn't just do everything and say, y'all sit back and relax till I come back. He puts us into the game. We get up off the bench 
and we do great things and we get to enjoy the joy set before us just like the joy that was set before him, which is you, which is each one of us coming to a knowledge, coming to life, eternal. Being able, like Van said, to bless somebody, whether it's financially or get out there and help them change that part on the car. To love one another. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It is. You'll find that the things of God that he talks about will work every time. But they just don't work the way the world works. They work 180 degrees opposite. God's way is better. If you've never tried God's way and you're holding on so tight, oh, I can't let go. I mean, I worked so hard to get this. Look, one day they'll, if you don't keep holding on, they'll, they'll pry your cold, dead hands off of it. And you won't take it with you anyway. I don't know where that came from. So what was Simon's outcome? We just got this one little brief statement in the Bible. What happened to Simon? Well, we're not told directly, but there are some reasonable assumptions, I would say, that we might consider. Can't say for sure, but these are some things that let me throw out to you. Acts chapter 2. It says, on the day of Pentecost, that there were some people from Cyrene that were born again. I don't know. That's 53 days later. Could Simon and Rufus and Alexander have stayed around for 53 days? I mean, it took them months to get there. They may have stayed for a month. Or, maybe carrying that cross touched him. Maybe he was in the room with the 120. I don't know. Just making some assumptions. In Acts 11, verse 20, it says, Some believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Could this included Simon? Was he now preaching the gospel? I don't know. Paul wrote the book of Romans approximately 56 years after Jesus was crucified. In Romans 16, 13, he says, Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to, to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Could this be Simon's son, Rufus? Can't say for sure. But he would have been grown by then. And what about his mom? Did Simon bring his wife to faith in the Lord Jesus and now she's like a mother to the Apostle Paul? If some of these things, assumptions aren't correct, then why would they have even named Alexander and Rufus when they came back later and wrote the story? Just a question. You know, to Simon, when he came in, he was tired, he was wore out. The last thing on his mind is, is carrying somebody's cross. He probably thought it was the worst possible scenario. I can't believe this. I'm not going to be able to take, partake of the Passover. He didn't know exactly what he was doing. That was exactly what he was doing. But following Jesus up that winding hill to Calvary, is the best trip a person could ever take. It's the best trip you'll ever take. It's to follow the blood trail of the Lord Jesus up to Calvary and see him high and lifted up. It's the best thing that will happen to you. It's the best thing that will happen to your family. 
Because your boys will see it. Your daughters will see it. And they'll follow your lead. So, I could smell the gunpowder still in the air. And then I begin to tremble for another reason. What's daddy going to say? <laughs> well, it didn't take daddy long. Daddy come rolling up, and the first thing daddy said was, boy, put that safety back on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, daddy. I got the safety on. You didn't shoot at a squirrel, did you? No, sir. No, sir. You shot at a deer? Yes, sir. Where's he at? He gone. <laughs> I don't know, daddy. I, didn't, I missed him. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. He came up. He said, okay. He got some tape out. He started taping the tree. Where's it? I'm going to go out here, and you show me where you saw the deer. We're going to look for a blood trail, all right? We're going to try to find out what happened to this deer. Well, daddy, daddy, I just missed him, daddy. I'm getting hungry. And I started making my way to the four-wheeler. And, and he's like, no, come on. I mean, he was trying to tape the place off like it was a police uh, <laughs> crime scene or something, you know. He wanted to do all this stuff. I shot at the deer. I missed. The deer ran off. Well, after I had the four-wheeler cranked and I was heading off, he figured if he wanted to ride back, he better catch up. He said, all right, boy, you, I guess you missed. So he jumps on. We go back. The next day, <laughs> we go to the deer camp. And that afternoon, there's a big crowd out by the skinning table, you know, uh, the skinning rack. And there's a big buck laid up on the skinning rack. And there's this skinning, there's a whole bunch of men, and there's this young boy about my age. He's just beaming with pride. Everybody's slapping him on the shoulder. And, boy, you really did it this time. That's an awesome deer. Where'd you, tell us the story again. And, that, and they were just making much of this young fellow about my age. And I come walking up with Dad. <laughs> and the, the leader of the gang over here, he speaks up and he says, Hey, Emery, didn't I see you and the, your boy hunting in the bottleneck yesterday? My daddy's name was Emery. He said, yeah. He said, well, I found a little a six-pointer about 40 yards off from where I saw your boy sleeping. <laughs> My daddy looked at me. He took that orange head off. And he said, Whoa! You told me you missed that deer. Had to be embarrassing to him. It just tore my heart out. I was looking to make that big leap from my adolescence until I wanted to be the boy they was patting on the shoulder. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be the big man. But I'd have to put that off. It was surely what I call a six-point fiasco. Here's the six, here's the six things. <laughs> here's the six things that I wish I could have changed. I wish I would have stayed awake more. This, now, this is just not that day. I wish I would have changed all these things about my, my young life, even from this point on, you see. I wish I'd have stayed awake more. Teenagers, y'all sleep too much. <laughs> you're sleeping your, your youth and your strength away. Get up. Get up with purpose in your life. You need to have something you're supposed to be doing. If you're, just, you're okay to sleep till 12 noon every day, then you need to d find something to do with your life. Pray and ask God. Look, I'm telling you from somebody who knows. <laughs> I wish I would have stayed awake more. I wish I had better aim. I wish 
I wouldn't have been so impatient. I wish I'd have just listened to dad and looked for the blood. You know, dad's pointing at the blood. Dad's look wants you to find the blood. But I was so squirrely. I thought carrying that big killing stick made me a man. It's the letter of the law that killeth, but it's the spirit that brings life. That killing stick didn't make me a man. It was following dad that made me a man. I was supposed to follow in his footsteps. If I'd have followed in his footsteps, we'd have found the blood. And he'd have led me to my manhood. Amen? Amen. That's the spirit of the law. It's to follow Jesus. That's how you mature in your Christianity. Following Jesus. In Luke's account of Simon, he says in Luke 23, 26, as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Made him follow Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, follow Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. So here Simon is. He's got these people yelling and screaming at Jesus, spitting on him. And he's helping carry the cross. He's following behind this man. But there's also those who are weeping and crying and wailing. So he felt the sting of the judgment and the condemnation heaped upon Jesus from the religious power structure. You know, I said it Wednesday, religion is always trying to kill Jesus. They're jealous of Jesus. Religion wants it to be about me. I want to be good enough. I don't want Jesus to have done this work for me. I don't want to follow him. I want everybody to see how good I am. It's always, religion is always trying to kill Jesus. But then he had it contrasted by the trail of these tears of those who had really taken time to get to know Jesus. These women, grief-stricken. Simon's got to be thinking, what if these stories that I've heard about Jesus are true? What if this is the, the greatest travesty of justice ever perpetrated upon mankind? What if I'm in the middle of something that's wrong? What if this man was innocent? He was, Simon. And yet there was no anger in Jesus. Just humility. A strong determination. A focus. To follow his dad. What if there's more to God than just a list of do's and don'ts? Maybe the words of the Jewish prophet Isaiah came to his mind when he said he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But, but he was pierced for our rebellion. 
crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. We've gone on the four-wheeler. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had deceived no one. And he was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. I don't know, but somewhere along the line, somewhere on that winding road to Calvary, I just imagine that Simon got a sneak peek into the swollen eyes of Jesus. And what did he see? I think he saw love. Maybe he saw a smile of gratitude that somebody is helping me bear this cross. I don't know, maybe it was then that he quietly slipped from the clutches of a dusty old religion into the arms of grace. I hope you've located you somewhere in their story today. Maybe you've learned something to tell somebody else. You know, we come from different places. Some of us understand what this is all about differently. Some of us are here out of a sense of duty. Some of us, man, we're just clocking in. I wish you wouldn't confront me with that cross and that love stuff. I'm just doing my duty. I just want to feel better about myself, and I want to live the rest of my life. I want everybody to know I'm a good person. Or maybe you... You genuinely want to serve the Lord. And you're here because you know in your heart that He's God and everything. But you don't know how. You think it's do's and don'ts. You think that, that if we all become little cookie cutter Christians, that if we all act a certain way, then we'll have made it. We'll have done it. We'll be it. And so we're forcing others to get into the mold of, of do's and don'ts. But which one of us is taking up our cross and getting messy with the people? Because people are messy. Which one of us really understands it's about following Jesus, denying yourself, taking up your cross and loving on somebody? It's encouraging people that are, that are weary and heavy laden. It's not knocking them down and telling them they're no good and lazy. I dare you to follow that blood trail to the cross. I dare you to see Jesus high and lifted up. I dare you. And then say it don't matter. To see the love hanging there. To see the love in his eyes, the appreciation that, that you feel for doing what he asked you to do here on this earth. Knowing where the glory should go. Taking the pressure off of self. It doesn't... It's wonderful when you have the freedom to know it's not about me. Me is crushing. It's depressing. It's overwhelming. I can't sit on the throne. 
any longer. I couldn't do it in my life. Maybe you can keep doing it. But there's somebody immensely more qualified to sit on the throne than you. Someone who has paid the cost to be the boss. Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. See, there's power in being resurrected like this and the fellowship of his sufferings. We don't like to talk about sufferings, but let's be honest. It's in the trenches that people get to know one another. It's in the, it's in the behind the wall when you're getting shot at that you become comrades. It's in the hard times that you get to know one another. It's when you were willing to lay down on a grenade to save somebody else. It's in the sufferings that life gets real and love begins to illuminate and make everything, peace that passes all understanding begins to emerge and the grace of God becomes real to you in the darkness, contrasted by God's light. Being made conformable unto his death, his earthly death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. See, I want to die to this place. I want to die to these lusts to nowhere. I don't want to be bound. I want to be free. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.